Welcome to this week's episode of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. Grab a seat at the table as Masters Rowing Coaches Marlene Royal and Rebecca Caro share their biggest secrets on how to unleash your hidden potential and plot a new course for real results on the water and off. Now, on to the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio where today we're going to be talking about motivation and rowing, both from the point of view of the athlete and also from the point of view of the coach. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined today by Dave Houchin. Dave, welcome. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having now, me. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you row, and uh, your background in the sport. Yeah, I'm relatively new to rowing. I, um, a master's rower, as you can probably guess from the, the picture, um, I actually only started in a boat about uh, 18 months ago uh, when I retired. Um, my background is in um, business psychology um, and leadership. I've um, got a strong background in that. And uh, when I retired from a very demanding job, I thought I'd put all my years of earth use onto the water. found it's technically incredibly difficult. Um, I'm a steep learning journey, enjoying every minute. and um, a regular attendee at the Anchor and Rowing Club in North Lincolnshire. Well, hello, hello to everybody who's listening from the Ankham Rowing Club. Now, motivation is something that most rowers who choose to race take as red. They don't question their motivation except when things change. However, when it comes to masters rowing, as I have said so often, masters are the most diverse population there is in the whole of our sport what is it about masters motivation and rowing that you find so fascinating well in the academic world it's, it's really not well understood um, when i when i speak to coaches they understand it really really well they understand that the approach to masters needs to be very very different to the approach to juniors and what they will tell me academically is that um, actually they, they need to be coached in a different way. They need to um, have things explained to them in a different way. They need to understand it. They need to buy into it more. Um, whereas youngsters just tend to just, for, for want of a better phrase, just uh, do as they're told and, and, and follow the guidance. When you actually look at the, the research on it, there's there's not a great deal. Most of the research into motivation and athletes and sports psychology tends to be at the elite level and at a much younger level. So what I'm trying to do is is apply some academic rigor to what academics have, uh, to what coaches have been saying for for, for years. Um, and I'd be interested in in your experience, Rebecca. Really, does that match the uh, the experiences I've been getting from from my coaches locally? If I look at the people that I coach, um, the vast majority want to race. Um, however, the difference between a group of juniors or uh, young adults who want to compete and masters is that there's never any obligation to show up. You come when you want to. The amount you put into the training is very dependent on your non-rowing obligations of family and job and maybe caring for elderly parents and all sorts of other important things. And so the coach's ability to, to be rigid is non-existent. 
you have to be flexible. And so much as masters may want to race, race successfully, I can give them a training program that specifies between five and six workouts a week. And you may succeed in doing three. And I just have to take what's done as being where we're at. Like this morning I was out on the lake on my single, overtook another crew, said to them, hey, would you like some coaching? And they said, no. So I said, I didn't say anything. I just paddled off. You know, I could see things that I was gagging to get them to do differently. They didn't want it. They were doing their own sweet thing. And so it's much harder, I think, to set the learning environment atmosphere for a group of masters when you're coaching than it is working with any other group. And I, I think from a, from a motivation perspective, if motivation is about how we're moved into to action and, and it's based partly on our, our balance of priorities and the priorities change as, as we get older, as, as you've described there, then then I would argue that it's not necessarily more difficult with masters. It just needs a different approach. Mm -hmm. Which leads us to your research. So you, in your very active retirement, have gone back to university. What is it that you're researching, Dave? Well, it's, it's based around um, a theory of motivation called self-determination theory. And that basically um, assumes that we have three basic psychological needs. And those psychological needs are competence, relatedness, and autonomy. And everybody from every culture and every age has these, these three needs. My research is whether that balance of those three needs changes as we get older from a, a sports perspective, and specifically um, around adult rowers. And the area that I'm looking at most closely is autonomy. And autonomy is where we, we do things of our own volition. We do them for no other reason than we want to do them. So the best example of true internalized motivation that's based on um, autonomy and the, and the other needs is children at play. So young children, when they're playing, do it for no other reason than they want to be there and they want to do it. You've then got a whole spectrum of other motivations where we do it to please other people, for our ego, right up to externalized motivation, which is very much for reward or for, to avoid sanctions. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, I'm interested in um, how autonomy needs are met as people get older. So for, for masters, um, how do we best meet them from a, a coaching perspective? and actually deliver what masters want to engage them, to motivate them, to get them to keep coming. One of the things that I know a lot of coaches uh, face, because we have a coach mastermind group, so there's a group of us get together every month and share and learn and pitch in and listen, um, is that you can find yourself coaching people who in their uh, professional lives are very, very senior executives in large businesses commanding multi-million, billion dollars of 
business and large teams and making you know decisions that affect stock markets and so on they've come to you or me because i'm a rowing coach and sometimes it's interesting to reflect on what somebody who is a very senior experienced uh, professional in their field why they're there how they feel when they are being directed in something which they're not very knowledgeable about and the outcomes that they're seeking is that part of self-determination theory it is and i can give you an example of that really if you've got somebody at that level of that seniority who comes to a rowing club for the first time and you look at competence relatedness and autonomy competence is very very low and when you start to look at relativity um, people are very experienced in what they do um, and are very competent in most areas of their life because they've developed skills over decades and then they come to something that's technically difficult and they're, they're starting from scratch again. Mm -hmm. Their relatedness is very low because they're engaging in a club with people who've maybe been there for a long time. You've got um, small social groups within that club. You've got crews that are established and row together on a regular basis. And then you've got the autonomy level where people are actually giving that over to the coach to say, actually, I'm here of my own volition, but I'm putting you in your, in, in, put myself in your hands to now guide me as, as to where I want to be. But from the perspective of how you deal with that person from an autonomy um, point of view, is that if you can actually get that person with relatively inexperience in rowing, they've still generally got enough expertise to be able to say what they want. And when you look at executive coaching compared with sports coaching, they're very, very different. So executive coaching works on the principle that the coachee, or the athlete in this case, has got all the expertise within them to develop, to grow, to achieve what they want to achieve. And the coach is just another resource to help them get there. Mm -hmm. So as an executive coach, I could coach somebody with no technical knowledge about their field of business. I could go into any yeah. organization, any business and, and, and still coach them. Sports coaching is the other end of the spectrum. It's very controlling. You as a sports coach, the, the presumption in sports coaching is that you impart your technical expertise on me and I as a sponge soak it up. And that doesn't always work at a master's level. Um, for, for people who are older, that's not necessarily what they're looking for and what they want. I am going to ask you a little bit more about that in a second. But first, I want to remind listeners that on the 14th, of November, we have a webinar coming up called The Older Athlete and Aging. This is the third year that we've run this. It is hugely successful, mainly because there is an enormous amount of things for us to learn and to share. New research, new ideas are coming out all the time. And one of the joys of running an organization like Faster Masters Rowing is that we get to meet a very diverse range of people who have a lot of things to contribute. What we lack as a cohort of rowers is the ability to share and learn from each other. So by hosting a webinar like this, we bring together a lot of different viewpoints and people like yourself who may be listening now and thinking, I wonder what I will learn. Well, one way to find out is to go to the registration page on our website 
fastermastersrowing.com forward slash older hyphen athlete hyphen aging. And there you will see our speakers, which include Jim Dietz and Volker Nolte and Derek Motts and myself, and some of the things that we're going to be covering on the day. So go to the Older Athlete in Aging, or search for it online. And we very much look forward to seeing you live on the 14th of November. Now, Dave, you're a very experienced executive coach. That was your job before the retirement, and you mentioned how high pressure it was. One of the things that sports coaches find, and possibly executive coaches the same, is that you are rarely in the room with someone who is a more experienced coach than yourself. How do you counsel people to uh, overcome this or get find ways to improve your own delivery? Because when you're talking, as I'm talking now, it's really hard to simultaneously observe yourself and hear what you're saying and look at context and how what you're saying is being received by you know, the verbal and non-verbal signals you're getting from the other person. It's really a shift in emphasis. When you look at how executive coaches are trained and, and how they operate, there's a lot less telling and directing and a lot more asking of questions and, and listening. Um, so if I give you a, a, an example of how you would apply that to rowing, um, at my first ever regatta race, which was probably six months ago, um, I turned up and if somebody said to me, what would be your ultimate ambition for this race? What's your perfect day look like today? And I would say, my first regatta, I've never won a race yet. I've only been doing this for 18 months. I would love to win. That would be my perfect outcome for today. Actually, at that regatta, we were up against a very, very experienced, good quality crew. I was in a double with somebody who was um, a lot older than me and it gave us a nine second start. And although we had what felt like a good start, the opposing crew it seemed like they made up that, that difference in about three strokes. Um, but they were so intense on going as fast as they could that they moved into our lane and crashed into us. They'd had two warnings and they were disqualified. So we'd won. Um, and, uh, but it left me feeling really empty. And it was so close to the start that I said, I'm happy to go again. Said to the umpire, the umpire's umpire and said, well, if you're happy to go again, we'll go again. And we went again and I knew that we would lose that race because that other crew was so good. So actually, when you speak to um, an athlete and, and get that, that first response from them, it's not necessarily the, the right response. So executive coaches will probe, they will explore, they will ask lots of questions, they will say, well, what does that mean to you? What does winning mean? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? And actually really get to the nuts and bolts of what that person wants. And my theory around sports coaching, a lot of this is, is taught already, by the way. A lot of sports um, coaching courses actually include um, athlete-centered coaching, where they say that athletes should take a lot more responsibility but it's not yet manifesting itself necessarily in, uh, in, in the actual coaching world because people coach as they were coached. Um, but what I would say is that, that actually most athletes, even the inexperienced ones, have got enough technical competence. I know where my faults are. I've only been doing this 18 months. I know the areas that I need to develop. 
And if you were to ask me, what do you want to focus on today, Dave? And what do you want from me as a coach? I could tell you. Um, and it's about a shifting emphasis to actually give the, the athletes a bit more responsibility. And that actually makes the life a lot easier for the coach because you've got this, this two-way relationship and the shared responsibility. Interesting hearing what happened to you in real life. Uh, if I had been your coach ahead of that regatta, I certainly would have asked you, you know, what are you hoping to get from today? And I can tell you that I would have tried to temper your ambition with a little bit of reality. I would have reminded you it was your first regatta, reminded you that despite a lot of practice, when it comes to racing, anything can happen and it probably will. And that your skills in recovering from the unexpected and knowing how to react when something unexpected happens are very, very low. And so to treat it more as a learning experience, yes, if you win, that would be very nice. But to seek to look at some process goals, not just the, I want to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And, and again, the, the shift in emphasis, I would say that actually executive coaches are incredibly challenging. They don't take anything at face value. So if you were coaching me and you said, right, Dave, you're 18 months into the sport, you're just starting to, to find your feet a little bit, you're just starting to compete. Um, what's, what's your ambition for the next year? And I say, right, I want to win the World Masters, right? Then you might instinctively in your head think, not a hope, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> but as an executive coach, you would put that back on me and you would say, right, Dave, let's pick that, let's explore that. What does that look like? Um, if you want to get to that level in that mm. period of time, what level of commitment do you think you need to give? How realistic is that? How many days a week can you actually commit to rowing? What level of coaching do you get? What level of exposure to racing people at that level are you going to be able to, to do in, in that time? You're going to be racing people against against people who have been doing this for 40 years. How are you going to catch up with that in that time? What, what, what's, what's your plan? What do you need from me to achieve that? And then I, with the right questions, I'm going to get to exactly the same point. So you think, do you know what? It's maybe a little bit unrealistic. <laughs> and hi there. It's <laughs> not a commit. It's yeah, not I'm a commit. Yeah, but I might commit to three sessions a day with rowing camps and, and all the things that, that might get me get me there. Or I might think, do you know what, I've got other priorities and, and my twice a week at club times maybe isn't going to quite get me to where I want to be. So I can increase it a little bit and I'm going to temper my, uh, my ambition a little bit. But because it comes from me, the motivation is more internalised. So therefore, I buy into it more. So whatever we agree and commit to, I'm more likely to deliver. And that's the difference. When it's external, you're less likely to, to deliver it. You're less likely to buy into it. And you do it all the time. The coach is there telling you what to do. As soon as the coach goes, you go back to do your own thing. And when it's internalized, and I think, no, actually, I want to get to this next point that we agreed. And I've committed to it. Even if you're not there, I'll be turning up on my own in the rain, in a single, going out there and doing my bit. And that's intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation yeah. in a nutshell. Absolutely. Now, you're back at university and you're doing some research into this. What are you hoping to find out in your research? 
what I'm hoping to, to find out really is do people's autonomy needs, that's that sense of volition and that sense of control, does that need change as you get older? So anecdotally, people will say that it does. Um, the research, small pockets of it would say, yes, maybe it does. But generally, the principles of motivation are they apply to everybody. But my um, research, my interest is, yes, but do they apply to everybody equally? And if it changes as we get older, do we need to react differently? Now, I've taken your survey. It's extremely short. Um, as I see it, the key points that you are going to use to filter my results are how many years I've been rowing, my actual age. Are there any other key things that are going to change your review of it? Yep. Um, I also include um, how frequently people are coached. Um, there's previous research that says uh, that actually the amount people are coached actually changes their sense of, um, of autonomy, that sense of, sense of control. Um, and see whether that changes as, as people age. But then it's very much, and you are right, it is a very short, non-onerous survey um, that actually how your autonomy needs to be met with a series of well-validated, well-established questions. I think there are only about nine or ten of those. It's, it's not very long at all. And they're, they're the tick box, multiple choice from um, disagree right through to uh, agree, disagree strongly through to agree strongly. Yeah, it really will take you about three minutes to fill it in. So the link's on the screen. I will put it into the show notes. And I very much hope that before the 12th of November, when the survey closes, we'll have got you a whole load of answers. That will be absolutely great, Rebecca. If I can uh, nail what makes um, people tick that go out in wobbly boats in the freezing cold in all weathers at all times of day, then I've absolutely smashed it. Yeah, you're going to find rowing's a jolly odd sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finding that already. So what are the key takeaways, just to end with, that you want listeners to reflect on? Because I'm going to tell the listeners, Dave's going to come back and talk to us again when he's done the research and the analysis. But for now, what are the things that if you're a coach or you're an athlete and you're listening now, you want us to hear and learn and act on? Okay, I think the first thing is make it a two-way process. So contracts at the beginning of the session. So as a coach, be very challenging um, to your athlete, but give them a high degree of choice and responsibility. Um, I think the second thing is give rationale for what you're seeking to achieve and how it relates to what they're trying to achieve specifically. So it's not just, I want you to do this because, reframe it as, you said you wanted to achieve, this will actually help you to achieve that. So actually there's that sense of realization. And I think the final thing is, is really, this isn't about shifting the pendulum totally the other way. Um, it's about supporting the athlete's interests, but it's about shared responsibility and actually giving more responsibility to the athlete so that actually whatever they buy into and commit to they're more likely to deliver and i think that the final point for me really is something i touched on on earlier really is to say that many of the coaches at a, a club level certainly are there for no other reason than they want to make the athletes better at what they do they don't get paid they're volunteers 
and it's not always clear what they're getting from it. So I think the athletes have got as much responsibility to ensure the coaches remain motivated as the coaches have got to ensure that the athlete remains motivated. So share the responsibility. That is a wonderful attitude and definitely resonates with me um, because, you know, being being paid or being a volunteer, you've really got to want to do it when it comes to community sport. Absolutely. And, and we know from the theory of motivation that payment is an extrinsic reward and isn't a very good motivator. Um, actually, the, the intrinsic rewards as a coach is actually what keeps bringing people back. Dave, well, I very much look forward to A, seeing the results of your research and B, inviting you back to tell us more about this absolutely fascinating area of, uh, of research into Masters Rowing. We are now officially at the leading edge of what's happening in sports science. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I look forward to you joining us next week. We are part of the Rowing Chat Podcast Network. Please tell your rowing friends about the show. And if you've learned just one helpful thing from today's episode, please consider supporting the show for as little as $1 per month by visiting FasterMastersRowing.com forward slash podcast.